0: And welcome to another episode of Navigating Life with Coach Low. I am Coach Low, and I just want to say welcome, 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 welcome today. As usual, y'all know that I have the best guest on the planet. And today, I have a good friend of mine, Gregory McKinney, with me. A really, really fine gentleman but he has had a journey. And today we are going to talk about parental parental wounds, addiction, forgiveness, and healing. And he has gone through all of those steps and today he helped other people, but I am going to pause and pass the mic to Mr. McKinney so that he can share with you who he is and what it is that he does. Thank you again for being my guest today, Gregory. Please introduce yourself to the audience.
1: Well, first, thank you Lolita for having me today. It's a, it's a pleasure. We go way back, we've been friends for a while. So I just feel like I'm just chatting with you know one of my crew and we're just gonna chop it up today. So it's uh, nice to share this time with you today. But I am a uh, certified life coach. I've been life coaching now for a number of years. And uh, I'm also a licensed minister. And so uh, it's it's just in me, since I was a little boy, to always reach out and try to help people. Uh, and so uh, as a life coach, I do a lot of relationship stuff, but I feel like particularly this year, God has put a mission in my heart to reach out to people who have had struggles with their childhood, much like I have had. And so uh, as a life coach now, I'm reaching out to people who had struggles with mom and dad and siblings, and even maybe some abuse issues. and walk through help them walk through that those journeys of how that affects them today how it has affected them as parents how it affects them as spouses and employees and uh i love it i love it Uh, i i can't think of anything better that i would i would rather do
0: i love it so mr mckinney and i we do very very similar work for the most part i focus most on women and young girls but mr mckinney he does both sexes um both genders however it is you want to say it it's all right with me so um let's let's dig in because we have a lot of ground to cover, y'all this dude he he has done some work on himself in order to show himself approved and so i um I'm just excited about what God has done in you and what mm-hmm. He's doing through you as you have gone through many things. So, you grew up in a household with um, a toxic mom. Yeah. yeah. Emotionally, she was toxic, she had her own issues. And then your dad was. A functioning alcoholic who was a truck driver that yeah. happened to be abusive.
1: Yeah. yeah. Tell
0: us about yeah. that. What was that like?
1: You know, it was like living in a home where you didn't know what to expect day to day. Usually, uh, a lot of people you have a a lot of people have a lot of predictability in their life. Mm-hmm. You come home, you eat dinner, you do your homework, you go to bed, and you kind of do the same thing Monday through Friday. But in my house, and also it's true with a lot of people who have trauma growing up, it's that unpredictability. You don't know who's gonna show up in your parents that day. You don't know if it's Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde. And it is tragic that your happiness is tied to how happy your parents are. So if my parents were having a bad day, I was gonna have a bad day. If they were having a good day, then I was gonna have a good day. It was all dependent on how they were feeling for that moment. And so uh, growing up in that type of household, uh, my father, who was a functioning alcoholic, was uh, verbally and physically abusive uh, growing up. And what made it challenging is that that was this sensibility of, of lack of leadership, so there was a lack of safety. Mm-hmm. And so the father is in the house to provide guidance and safety to his family. And when a father's not operating in that, then everybody suffers. And so when I would come home, which should be my safe haven, right. was actually the war zone. I actually felt more comfortable being at school all day. Like, I didn't want to leave school because I didn't want to go home because I didn't know what was going to happen once I got home. And so growing up in in that type of uh, uh, environment produced in me some of this uneasiness. And it wasn't until I became an adult, Lolita, that I realized that living with this anxious anxiousness that I had was Mm -hmm. not normal because it was normal for me every day to go to school feeling anxious and looking over my shoulder and not wanting to upset anybody, always feeling that I had to walk on eggshells because I never wanted to provoke anyone. And it wasn't until I actually became an adult that I realized that's not healthy, that you should uh, be comfortable being your authentic self. And uh, it took me a while to grow into a place where I'm comfortable with whatever your opinion is of me, like me or not, uh, It it is okay. Uh, because I would rather have peace than to have your approval. I so, love it. I love it. it. Right.
0: I love I love it. it. That's wow. on point. Because our happiness, our parents' happiness, mm-hmm. everybody's happiness belongs to them. It's our responsibility to discover that. Um, and so what I heard you say was that you tried to do everything that you could write, even though your model, your example at home was dysfunctional. You right. were still trying to figure out a way as a child yeah. to make it right. Right,
1: that, right.
0: That's just, that's always interesting to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I felt this weight to be uh, the peacemaker in the family uh and so uh i was i'd have to pat myself on the back but i wasn't a bad kid i never skipped class never got some detention never got a note home sent home from the teacher of bad conduct uh so i tried to be as a a model student and a model son as i could uh which created a lot of anxiety because i felt this need to be perfect yeah i wasn't perfect and if i upset my parents then then i was the problem so i felt like as a kid I was a part of their dysfunction, that their issues were, they became my issues because I didn't have the maturity yet to understand that mom and dad are separate individuals. They are my parents, but they are not my choices. Wow. They make their own choices. And so uh, coming to a realization of that really helped me uh, grow and do a lot of healing. And And so with my mom, you know, I spoke a little bit with my dad, with my mom. Um, Prince has a has a line in his one of his songs called uh When doves cry when he says maybe I'm just like my father too old maybe I'm just like my mother she's never satisfied yeah my mom was a lot like that um oh. no matter how good at the grades were no matter how well the teacher spoke of me no matter how whatever I did uh she was never pleased uh and so there was this constant effort to make her happy over and over and over and over again and I never was able to do that. And it wasn't until I became an adult that I realized that happiness is an inside job. As you just said, you own your own happiness. And because she had the conditions and the environment around her, she wasn't able to be happy. She was having a hard time. I mean, she was, she she. my mother never graduated from high school so she didn't have a high school education. She had a minimum wage job and she was living in an abusive relationship with her husband. And so there was a lot of pressure on her. And so looking back now, I'm only able to understand why she was so unhappy and, and why the aggression uh, was was so strong in her spirit from day to day. But it was it was challenging as a kid.
0: right. so so there was so there was so many different things that I learned from your story. and one of those things was that you were adopted. And so being adopted means that while somebody didn't want me, mm-hmm. somebody chose me. So yep. on one hand, it brings value. but mm-hmm. in your particular situation, you had a situation where your your dad, your your adopted father
2: mm-hmm.
0: he mistreated you. Yeah. so it yeah. caused you yeah. to feel devalued
2: Correct. your
0: mother on the other hand was who your father should have been to you as a protector
2: mm-hmm. as
0: a leader but neither one of them really led as a solid functional positive leader in your life and so as as an adopted son you talked about how sometime you likened it to, well, it may be if I was his biological son, then he wouldn't do this and the things that he do to hurt me. And uh, we talked about it. We talked about how it's interesting because, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So yeah. let me let you unpack that.
1: <laughs> well, it is interesting because you feel like you were some type of constellation prize. You know, mm. as you couldn't have your own kids, you're going to settle for the adoptive, the adoptive kid, right? Um, wow. My mom, the year that they adopted me, she had an, a hysterectomy. She could no longer have children. And so I was her last opportunity to be a mom. And so you 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 kind of go back and forth with, yeah, you did choose me, but did you really want me? I mean, right. because this is not yeah. the happiest of environment., uh, this is not, you know, the most prosperous of situations to be in. Um, and I don't want to paint all doom and gloom. I mean, my mother was, I, I tell people she was a very difficult woman to relate to but she was an excellent mother. I could tell she loved me. I mean, she would get out in the middle of the street and fight for me if she had to. But she wasn't warm and fuzzy.
0: Yeah. She
1: wouldn't, you know, it was no cuddles. It was no kisses. It was, you know, hey, I, I'll cook your food. I'll take you to school. i do what needs to be done, but don't expect much more than that. And so uh, because there was this lack of like an emotional connection, it, but she was very dutiful. She did the job well. But the lack of emotional connection just kind of made me think, well, maybe this isn't what they really wanted and they kind of feel stuck with me now. And so they just got to deal with this maybe mistake that they made. Maybe they thought they wanted kids and then they decided once they had one, they didn't want one because it just brings more complication uh, to to their lives. Uh, There was a little bit of struggle in that also. Uh, Because I was thinking, well, if I was really maybe their biological child, then maybe I would have been a glue. I could help bring them both together. They would have saw my face in their face. They would have saw, you know, mirror images of them. And that would have warmed their heart, maybe made them softer and made them kinder. Uh, But that was how I thought as a child. But now as an adult, I realized that, you know, that wasn't really the case. There was bigger issues going on uh, uh, surrounding them. Yeah.
0: Right. So you mentioned, you talked about how you felt like your mother would get in the street and defend you. And so you had a situation where your mother actually took some strikes that were meant for you onto herself. And you talked about how that affected you. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, that was that was a moment in time, and I wish it, it it happened a couple of times in my childhood. My father, who was a truck driver, uh, would oftentimes go on the road, and so a lot of times he'll be away uh, for days at a time, maybe even a week at a time. And so when he would come back home, of course, you know he's tired, and so he came back one night, and um, I was in the shower. We had a we had a two bedroom home with one bathroom, so we as a family we shared the one bathroom and I guess he was ready to get in there and I wasn't moving fast enough and he had gotten angry at me. And he, uh, and I was getting out the shower, I just put on my clothes and he rushed in the door, yelling and screaming at me and my mother could kind of tell what was about to go down, what was about to happen. And so I remember my dad, he grabbed me and started shaking me, right? And so my mother came uh, to the doorway of the, of the bathroom and said, get off of him, leave him alone. And so uh, I remember my mom, she put her hand like on my chest and she pushed me aside and she stood in front of my, my dad and said, you're not going to do what you what you're trying to do or what you're about to do. And uh, my dad then raised his hand to her and he hit her instead of him hitting me. And in that moment, there was, I was paralyzed Lolita. I mean, in that moment, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't register everything that was happening. I didn't know. What to do with all of those feelings. And even now, as an adult, if I think about it too long, it still kind of makes me emotional. um But in that moment, I was robbed of my masculinity. I felt like I was. uh Because it was a, a moment in time where I felt like, here I am, I'm the male. And true enough, I'm a little boy at the time. I think at the time I may have been 11.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I'm a, I'm a boy at the time, but I, I'm trying to grow into my manhood here. And a girl shouldn't take a hit for a boy, yeah. and so I was thinking, you know, I, and plus, mama, I would, I would have rather him hit me than hit her, mm-hmm. and so it, it, it felt like I didn't measure up, you know, like who am I as a as a man? Am I strong? Uh, and so I was robbed of a lot of that natural progression of manhood in that moment, uh, and, and and for some years, um, I felt weaker than most you know uh, I, I felt like I always had to be overly masculine or I had to try a little bit harder than the rest of the guys. Uh, but now as an adult I realized that she was doing what any mother would have done. yeah I realized now that any mother on the planet would have done the exact same thing a mother's going to protect her child by any means necessary. And I can see that now that the adult stepped in on behalf of the child, the mother protected her son. But in the moment, I felt like I was robbed of my manhood.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I could, I could only imagine. Um, we, we just kind of talked about how it can be so different as you look from the lens of a female or a male, depending on what your experience is because from a female standpoint i would have expected for my mother to protect me if if anyone was trying to harm me so but as a man right it looks very different and it feels very different internally because you are a man and it's like okay I'm supposed to be stronger and harder. And, right. you know, I can stand for myself if I have to throw these hands, you know, to protect right. myself. Right. Let's be about this business.
1: Whatever we need to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, so it's right. just, it's, it's, it's crazy because um you felt that way as a man. And then as a woman, I would have felt like wow thank you mom for protecting me but i'm so sorry that you were hurt in the interim of all of this yeah you said something that was very interesting to me you talked about coming home and feeling like a black cloud
1: yeah
0: was always over your home yeah what does that mean to you
1: Yeah, yeah. growing up, my dad was Freddy Krueger, Jason, the boogeyman all rolled into one. Hmm. And so oftentimes my dad would come home late at night. Uh, He would come home around 10, 11 o'clock at night. Like I don't remember my dad ever being home like at three o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon. It was always after the sun went down uh, that he would come home. And so uh, when he would come home, I would then rush to my bedroom turn off my light, get on, in the bed like I was asleep. I would remember I would prepare for bed around eight o'clock every day. So just in case he came home, it was just a quick jump in the bed and I didn't have to engage with him at all because I would mm-hmm. pretend like I was asleep. And so uh, that was kind of like the feeling when I went home that I, I would come home and be prepared for the worst, that I always had to be ready for something bad to happen and so when I would come home it did feel like a dark cloud it didn't feel like my happy place it felt like the place where I had to walk on eggshells and be prepared for maybe this is going to be a horrible day and um, what that does to you though as a kid is that it makes you all uh, not have hope that things are going to get better yeah, you know, so every school year it was just kind of like, okay, I'm gonna get another mean teacher,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, or uh, or somebody's gonna, you know, something bad's gonna happen, or I always anticipated the worst out of whatever scenario uh, that was that was put in front of me, and so that dark cloud kind of was created this mental uh, negativity about life in general, uh, it's, it's not going to work out. Uh, it's not, it's too good to be true. It's not going to, people aren't what they say they are. That constant belief that nothing good or positive is going to happen.
0: Wow. That's, and, and I, when I think about being a kid, mm-hmm. um, that breaks my heart. Like, I mean, it really, it really breaks my heart for any child to think that one would have to endure these types of things, but this is not foreign. This is still happening yep. today. Every day, you know, every day. these are what we call generational curses, right? Right, um, right? And these behaviors are passed on from generation to generation and right. nobody is stopping it. And that's one of the things that I can really appreciate about the work that you did on yourself. And yeah. one of the things that you talked about <laughs> was how you feel like you overdid self-control. Yeah, I
1: did, I did, I do. Uh, <clears throat> so a lot of the men in my family were abusive to their wives and had issues with alcohol. So it kind of ran through ran through my family a bit. And So one of the things that I was very conscious of as a kid is that I didn't want to act like I saw the men in my family because we would go to family reunions and get togethers and I would see them just be loud and rude and just uh, obnoxious, if you will. And so I remember very young telling myself, I'm not going to be that way. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to behave that way. So on purpose, I would say, Gregory, calm down. (laughs) Gregory, calm down. And I will say that to myself like every day. And so oftentimes when people are interacting with me, they'll just say, you're so laid back, You're just so relaxed. And I find myself that I may be overcompensated uh, for trying to be trying to have self control, because now people uh, tell me all the time, you don't even seem like the type that would get upset. Like I do get angry. I do get upset. But uh, I practice self-control. I think I I overdid it now because I'm, like, so chill. I'm so chill. If you ever hang out with me? I'm just so cool.
0: Well, I have not hung out with you, hung out with you, but Mm -hmm. I have been in, shared the same space with you Mm -hmm. a number of times. And I have never, you, as much as you like to engage with people, you Mm -hmm. don't really... You don't try to steal the light. You don't try to, you know, captivate the audience or any of those things. It's just kind of like, hey, how's it going? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Hey, how you doing?
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Real simple.
1: Yeah, I'm not-, I'm not very excitable. Like you're not gonna get me to act out of character, you know? And I've had some heated discussions, of course, about race and religion and, and whatnot, but no, you're not gonna have me come out of my shell, my my, my character. Uh, for any type of nonsense.
0: I love that because it's very necessary. And exercise, um, self control is a fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. So if you, if I don't even know that you could really overdo that because it's necessary. Mm-hmm. There are so many things. I have an excitable, real, jovial yep. personality, period. Yep. So I can be, um, I can be very strong and upset. I can be abrasive, you know, so, but I am a very, for the most part, I am a very controlled personality. Like I, I was talking to um, my play sister the other day and Mm -hmm. I was telling her how I have to like, keep Myself down here because if I start getting up there, <laughs> it's
2: everybody
0: over. Is, yeah, it's going to be a mess. Yeah. You know, right here is right, really right. drowning
1: for me. Right, so, we don't want to see that happen. Right.
0: right, so it's it's never a good outcome. But, but you
1: know what, it, it kind of shows up in other areas though. So I don't come out of my character uh, when conversing with people or engaging with people. But I have learned that it shows up in other ways, because last year, I had not shared this with you, I had an issue with, excuse me, with overeating. And so last year, when I would get upset, and I would get tense, and things were happening in life last year, and I I went through a major change in life here recently, and I had gained a lot of weight. And it was because I I didn't want to voice what I was feeling that I ate it away. And so- uh, I had, you, I'm had i still doing work to realize that, hey, uh, you have to find healthy ways to deal with these emotions. Because mm-hmm. regardless of how self-controlled you are, you're still gonna get angry about stuff. You're still gonna get sad about stuff. So right. how do we manage that in a way that's healthy? And so you may be doing great in one area, but how are you in these other areas? Exactly. So, sorry, <laughs> now, like, I may not tell you off, but I'm gonna go eat a whole pint of ice cream. Um, <laughs>
0: right but then that's internal hurt though you know what i'm saying so it's like rather than me launching out at at someone else Mm -hmm. it's like i'm going to do something to harm myself and that is just as destructive
1: yeah so So i I just choose now to just watch the letter housewives and let that be my thing i (laughs) indulge in don't hurt nobody i'm good with that
0: all right (laughs) well that's that's good so um you you have um this is who you are is not new as it relates to helping people and coaching and everything we were uh joking about it and you were just like you know people didn't my uh peers didn't call me and say hey Greg, let's go hang out. You know, let's go do this, that, or the other. You never got right. invited
2: to the parties. Right.
0: No. I'm feeling no. depressed. I, I'm sad today. Like, you're the counselor. <laughs>
1: like, I know. So, like, and, and a lot of times in high school, you know, there'd be good to get-togethers, and I hear about parties the next day. I would get to school, but like, hey, no one called me. Uh, But people would call me when there was issues that were bigger than them. And so oftentimes my friends would call me when they, when their parents were, when they would hear their parents fighting, or maybe, you know, I remember one particular friend of mine, their older sister got pregnant at, at 15 and was like talking about how that just upset their home. And she would call me, you know, day after day, or someone's heart got broken. I was the guy, everybody went through a breakup. <laughs> Who they gonna call? you know uh and so that was weird and i didn't have the language yet i didn't have the adjectives to describe what this was Mm -hmm. i just knew that i would listen and then i would encourage that was that was my secret recipe let me listen to what you have to say and just let me just encourage you that everything's going to be all right and if you need me to pray for you i will pray for you and along the way uh, i hope i was a blessing to people But, yeah, I kind of felt like I was the, you know, the secret that nobody wanted to talk to or talk about. Like, come on, I'm cool. I'm fun. (laughs) You
0: you was intense, though. You were serious. But, you know, it's so funny when you shared that. I was like, he's talking about me Mm. because I was that person. But I didn't party and my friends knew that. So I would like to go out to dance. But if it was just gonna be the little red light, little party in the basement, you know, all sweating hot, I'm good. You don't need to invite me to that. But I was their go to person, I was the counselor. I still have friends today that they're like, Lolita, you was like real grown. We was freshies in high school. You was grown. You was everybody mama. You was everybody's counselor. Yeah. Yeah. You was everybody's go-to person. And so when I look at the work that we do to help other people today, it is, it's, it's amazing. You talked about how um, you even today, People who have had parents that have had addictions, or they were physically abused, or they um, may have been molested, they seem to draw to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah. people yeah. who are in darkness draw to light. Tell us about that.
1: It is. It is a very unique thing, you know. And going back to what you said as a kid, I think that it just shows God's hand on our lives.
2: Mm-hmm. That.
1: Uh, I may not have chosen my journey, but I wouldn't change my journey
0: hey, you know? man. Uh,
1: because it, it now produces such fulfilling fruit in my life. You know, I feel so honored when people reach out to me and just say, hey, I just want to talk to you. I know that you do this. You mind? You got five minutes. You got 10 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that what people recognize is truth. Yeah. Like, uh, I often say, I don't trust anybody who doesn't have any dirt under their nails. <laughs> and so if you haven't got a few scrapes and bruises and been on the field and know what it's like to get punched and know what it's like to get knocked down, then I'm generally not drawn to you. I like people mm-hmm. that got a little bit of mess in their past, you know, that seeing something, done some things and have learned from those things and now are able to help others. And so when people come to me and they want to engage with me, I think what they first see is someone who's not going to judge. Yeah. I know what it's like to get knocked down, to feel worthless, to not feel like, to feel like God's given up on you. And like, why do I have to go through this? So someone who's not going to judge. And then it's someone who can relate. I may not be able to feel the exact pain that you have,
0: mm-hmm. but I
1: can relate to pain. Right. I know what it's like to hurt. And so I'm sympathetic, I'm empathetic to, to what you're going through. And I'm going to take it with uh, with sincerity. I'm not going to dismiss you. I'm not going to act like what you're going through. I'm not going to tell you just to walk it off. Because right. not, it's not as simple as that. And so I think people spot you and spot me along the way and just go, you know what? There's a spirit that connects with their spirit. And I think that is that's the God thing. That God says, you had to go through that, Lolita so that you can be a blessing to the people that I have already prepared for you to minister to.
0: Agreed. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Agreed. And it and it's beautiful. It's beautiful because it comes from a very authentic place, you know, um, and it doesn't feel like work.
1: You no, know. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Like
0: it 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 really doesn't. It doesn't feel like worth and it is you talked about fulfilling. Mm -hmm. It is quite fulfilling when you can see people break free from bondages and um, emotions and thoughts that held them bound at one time, and you get to see them spread their wings and fly and be free again, you know, it's, it's, um,
1: it's it's so rewarding. Huh? It's so rewarding. And to know that you had a part in that, a place in that, you know, and um, I, I heard I heard a pastor once say, and I think this is the best definition of Christianity I've ever heard in my life was Christianity is basically one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is.
0: Oh, wow.
1: (laughs) So That means I'm in need and you're in need. Here's where we go get fed. That we're on the same level here. I'm not better than you just because people call me coach or therapist or whatever. No, 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 no. I've been hungry too. Right. I know what that feels like to have that pain in your stomach and not know where to go. Right. So it's just my role as another beggar to say, there's the food, there's the healing, there's where you find the peace that you're looking for. And so uh, that's what I do. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is.
0: I love it. I love it, love it, love it. So we, we've we talked uh, quite a bit about your dad and we will come back around to him. But I want to just kind of talk about your mom a little bit because <laughs> um, we're talking about parental uh, wounds, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. so um, mothers are our first teachers. Yeah. And you talked yeah. about how it was very difficult to connect with your mom Mm-hmm. But you shared some very interesting details around your mother's life that helped me as a woman understand a little bit better about how she became who she was.
2: Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. You,
0: you, t- you talked about her lack of education. You talked about her um, being a mother at, I think it was 14.
1: 14. She had her first child. And unfortunately, she passed away seven years later.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's devastating. That is trauma, you know, because she had created a life around this child. And mm-hmm. then now the baby is no longer there. Then mm-hmm. she has to do a permanent situation internally where she um has a hysterectomy now there are no more opportunities for children all the while she is still experiencing this um this hurt and pain from her spouse and so um then she gets you Mm -hmm. the blessing because somebody made her happy you know And I mean, it was to your detriment because you felt like you had to be perfect and perfection is not attainable. You know, we will never reach perfection on this side of heaven. And there are so many young people whose parents put that kind of pressure on them, whether it is knowing or whether they are totally oblivious of it. It is happening and children are having to figure out how to manage these things and it's 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 just a lot it's a a lot lot. so when you think about when you think about your mom Mm -hmm. and um because you you talked about the toxicity that Mm -hmm. she possessed but that she was she was loving on one side yeah. in that she provided for you she took she met your needs but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not your emotional needs right. so you were emotionally right. void of what you needed from a mother or a father yeah. so from your mom you hear things like mothers are nurturing mothers are <laughs> mothers are gentle really? mothers okay. are kind and meek But that wasn't your experience. Tell us about that.
1: No. no. Uh, You know, it's funny uh, because growing up, I knew my mom was not the warm and fuzzy person. But I knew that she would always do whatever it took to make sure I was taken care of. I can honestly say I never went to bed hungry. In fact, I probably had more than enough food. I was a chubby kid. So I had more than enough who um, she always made sure that whatever it it took to make sure I was provided for was done, even if that meant standing in front of a a man who was about to, who would hit her. Uh, So I look at my mom and I I think she was a no limit soldier. Don't get hey. I look at her and say, that was one tough lady. Uh, And so I remember when she passed away, she passed away in 2002. Uh, She didn't have anything materialistic she could leave me. But I, I remember saying a prayer and I say, God, could you leave me her strength? Wow. Because when I think of my mother, I think strong. I mm-hmm. think power. And that was the thing I wanted most. And I'm, I'm actually proud uh, the, of that that I had that example. Because when I do think of her, I do think of endurance and strength. But I remember as I was growing older, we talk about how a father is his daughter's first love. Mm-hmm. Well, a mother is her son's first love right so a mother teaches a son we we don't have a lot of discussion about this as we should about how he should be treated by a woman right so how a mother engages her son tells that little boy this is how women should speak to you how they should respect you how they should honor you and so because of our relationship being loving but being emotionally distant i found myself having relationships with women that were emotionally distant and that I was trying to be their savior and I was trying to make them happy. And so the more depressed or darker woman was, I felt like, oh, that's my duty. I gotta go help her. I gotta make her happy. And so I put this responsibility on myself to try to go out and make as many women emotionally happy as I could to to kind of make up for what my mother had to endure. You know, mothers have an interesting Uh, place in in a home I tell a lot of single mothers this and and this is a conversation that you know we may want to have later is a toxic mother causes more damage than an absentee father yeah because with an absentee father at least he leaves the door a room open for another man to step in there could be a stepdad, there could be a coach, it could be a minister, it could be a deacon, it could be a mentor somehow. Another man can step in when the when the father decides to leave. But if you have a toxic mother who was there every day, she's literally giving her child a drop of poison every single day that they they're that they're together. And so um a a mother's place in a home is really a doorway to a lot of pain or a lot of happiness. And I think that women could use a lot of support in that area and don't get enough credit for what they for what they do uh in their position in 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 the home because it's very very powerful and so i had to fall on my face again with a number of relationships uh not knowing exactly how i should be treated how i should be respected how i should be honored mm-hmm. because i just got i just felt the that that's way women were mm-hmm. women were not nice women aren't nice and so uh I, you would just find a woman who would be willing to put up with you going back again to that whole adopted thing you're just willing to put up with me
2: yeah.
1: uh and and I would just walk it out you know and uh having to grow in that area and know uh that no I deserve to be equally respected as I respect you
0: I love it I love it and we need that we need that um so it's, you know, I, I am just intrigued by your story <laughs> and you already know, but sure. it is, I'm, I'm so grateful for for the work that you've done. And when you think about, you don't always think about how a man learns how to love a woman.
2: Right. You
0: don't always think about that example. The world usually puts so many emphasis on how the father loves a daughter rather mm-hmm. than how a mother influences his son, unless it is negative. Right. And so, you know, I how how did you come to the point of mm-hmm. understanding what your role, the proper role and responsibility you had as a man, and it was not. <laughs> to make these women happy cuz you can't
1: <laughs> you can't you can't you, can. you know so it it was it was a a journey of of maturity and a key people coming into place in my life uh so starting out i thought that the role of a man was just to make his woman happy mm-hmm. whatever she wanted that's what you do there was a lack of leadership and there was a lack of pouring into her and i i, I know now that a man's contribution to his woman is bigger than just making her happy right it's about making her life better and if we're not making each other better then we're wasting each other's time right because i'm with you i've read more books have i seen more places have i you know done more things in life you know what is my contribution if you're Mm -hmm. not bringing nothing to the table then find another table uh, but however um there were key figures in my life there were i have to thank god for some men that he brought in my life that would hang out with me, that would I would watch them uh, in their relationships and how how they would uh, relate to their women. And then I was fortunate enough, probably the biggest contributor, was I've had in my life some really good female friends. And this can get tricky when you are in a committed relationship, but I think everybody needs an opposite gender friend that's strictly platonic, Right. They can kind of give you insight to the thinkings of the opposite gender. Agreed. And so I've had some women in my life who have loved me enough to keep it honest with me, because there are some men in life, the good guys, you know, the guys that are nice, that are sweet, that are kind, that women, oh uh, gosh, I don't know how to say this politely. That you
0: can say it. You don't have to say it politely. It is what it is.
1: So with nice guys, and you may want to bleep it out. With nice guys, women are attracted to nice guys, but they don't make them horny.
0: Uh huh.
1: So you can be a nice guy, and, and ladies will say, "Oh, you're kind and you're nice," but they're not drawn to you with a certain sense of passion. Right. That's needed because uh, women like men that have a little bit of edge. So just in case something happens, I know I can count on you uh, to to make to do what needs to be done. And so playing the nice guy role, I realized that I had to evolve a little bit bigger based on the men and the women that were around me. And then I tell you, the biggest teacher in life is empty pockets and a broken heart. Oh, Lord. <laughs> empty pockets and a broken heart is a big, big teacher in life.
0: That's so, a book, just so you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you get your heart broken enough, you got to start asking yourself the lesson, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. And so if God were to say, hey, Gregory, I'm going to have to break a bone or break your heart, which one you choose, I'm going to say break my bone, because a broken heart will humble you and have you sitting down uh, crying, listening to Sade all day.
0: Oh, Lord.
1: <laughs> it's not a fun place to be. It's not yeah. a fun place to be. Uh, but then lastly, and maybe most importantly, uh, I have this. I'm going to give you something for free. You can use this in, in your practice, too. <laughs> I have this exercise that I have my clients do. When they have a goal that they're trying to reach, so if it's writing a book, running a marathon, losing 20 pounds. One of the things I asked them to do first is I want you to write a list of 30 things of why you deserve to reach that goal. 30 uh-huh. things. Tell me 30 reasons why you, des- you need to write this book. You need to run this marathon. You need to start this business. You need to go back and get that degree. Give me 30 reasons why. And I did that to myself, Lolita. 30 reasons why I deserve a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the hardest exercises. And it was hard at the time because I didn't realize my own self-worth. Wow. And what a childhood trauma does to you, remember I talked about, I got robbed of my masculinity.
2: Mm -hmm. Well,
1: you get robbed of self-worth also. Yeah. Because you feel dismissed. And although your parents have their issues and their struggles, you feel like you are on the back burner, that you're not a priority. So your self worth goes down, and so how I was able to evolve and, and know how a man should relate and care and to love a woman is I learned that I deserve it too. Yeah, I had to find my own self worth, you know, and realize that it's not bragging to say this is what I bring to the table. Right. These are these are the benefits of being with me, you know. This right. is This is you know you're gonna have a good time with me because I'm a great guy. Right. And that's not bragging, but it, 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 it gives you a sense of self-worth. And when you know your worth, you know what, what you're not worth and you know what not to settle for. Right. So to help that. So, and again, prayer conferences, men's groups, all of that was a contributor, but I got to say, knowing my own self-worth that, that really was the, the, the big deal.
0: I the love it. Huh?
1: That was the game changer.
0: I love it. I love it. And we do need we 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 have to do the work and I think that that is the hardest part for many is that people don't want they want change but they don't want to do the work that it takes to get you there.
2: Right. And right.
0: so um I want to just I I said that I would come back around to dad.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So mm-hmm. um this is kind of about mom and dad. So you talked yeah. about how in 2002 you lost mom. Yeah. And um, in losing mom, well, you had cut dad off. Yes. And so you weren't really talking to him. But Mm. then upon mom's uh, transition, you and your dad had to come back together again and
1: Uh, connect some
0: things together. Well, some great things came out of that. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. You know, Lolita, I wish I could say that I was the mature one. I wish I could say that I was enlightened and God opened up, you know, this revelation to me and spoke to me and said, reconnect with your father. But no, no, I was being a hardhead. I I didn't want nothing to do with him. And, you know, uh, staying out of his life was my payback, you know, like done with you. I'm grown. I'm out of the house. You ain't got nothing to say. But my father was actually the one that initiated the reconnection. He was the one that actually started us on a journey to where we're at now at a place of healing. It was around, it was was shortly before my mother passed away. It was a few weeks before she passed away. He and I, when we were talking, we were only talking about my mother's arrangements. So if it wasn't about, you know, flowers or the casket or whatever, we didn't speak about much more other than that. And so one day he called me out of the blue and I'm being cold and I'm like, yeah, what's up? What, you know, what you need? You know, I got five minutes, so what, what? I gotta go. Right. Uh, <laughs> just being a hard head for no reason, no reason at all, just because I could. Just because I But you
0: I could. did have reason is what the truth is.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was It was my own hurt and pain that I hadn't processed. Right. And he, in a very rare moment of vulnerability, he opened up and he shared and he said, he said, son, I know I, have, I was not a good father and I was not a good husband to your mother. And I could hear the emotion as he was talking. And he said, but I wanna tell you right now. He said, I love you. I loved your mother and I'm sorry. He said, I am so sorry. And Lolita, when he said, I'm sorry, I literally felt like a hundred pound weight was just lifted from my shoulders. Wow. It, it it didn't immediately solve everything, but it gave me permission to move forward. It released those shackles that I was now able to move forward to healing. And it was such a, a brief moment that, I, and, I, and I still think about it, go, was that all it took? <laughs> was that all it took was just to someone to say, I'm sorry. And when, cause behind that was so much, it was an acknowledgement. It was him owning up to it. It was him saying, I'm reaching out to you because I need you. And I don't want to lose you. It was all of that. And one phrase just saying, I'm sorry. And so from there, we began the journey of more talking on a regular basis. And of course we had to do the funeral and we were there for each other. In, in that moment. And then uh, we began to keep in touch more and more and more and more. And then a few years down the road, we were we were polite and we were we were good. I had a moment where I just like, I just let him have it. It was like, we were in a good place, but all of this stuff just came up. And I remember him sitting and he was just looking at me and he just nodded and he didn't say a word. He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't try to deny anything. He just took it, and like even now, it's getting to me. And for him to do that was was one of the most moving moments in our relationship. Mm-hmm. He, he he was like, "You're right." He, he was he was you know, "You're right. I can't change it. I can't deny it." And all he could say was, "I'm sorry." And so now, my dad and I, we are buddies. We're pals. We talk all the time we laugh and we joke we, we hug we embrace whenever we're, we're in the same uh area together uh same place together and uh it's it's a very kind and loving relationship and i and i say that because and i i'm, I'm proud to share that because i hope it gives hope to others yeah that reconciliation is possible uh that is not an easy journey what my father and i went through took years it wasn't overnight it wasn't over a week it wasn't over a month it was years of kind of just one step in front of others there was no big jumps it was just hey today let's just talk for 10 minutes see how it goes uh and there was no goal it wasn't like oh we're 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 trying to be the best father and son in the world no we're just two guys who were just trying to learn, learn each other, you know, not to make it overly complicated. And now we're at a point to where we enjoy each other's company. We enjoy hanging out. Uh, I love my dad. I enjoy spending time with him. Uh, and it's not a traditional father and son relationship. What it is now is two men who respect and love one another and appreciate having each other in their lives. So if you were to see us together, it probably won't feel like a dad and son, but you will see two men who really value each other. And and um, I, I love it.
0: I love it. That is beautiful. That is that is such a beautiful thing. Now, I what what we never I never asked was, yeah. did your dad ever heal?
1: I don't think so. I
0: okay. don't think
1: so. I think that my mother was the love of his life because he still talks about her very fondly and uh he has since remarried um and he told me in confidence once that he said you can get married a hundred times but you really only have one wife wow and what he was meaning by that he didn't mean legally because you can you know you can have a hundred wives if you wanted to but he meant emotionally there's only going to be one woman who means the most to you and
2: wow.
1: he refers to my mother in that way. And so I think that looking back, when he looks back over his life, I think that is a huge regret that the love of his life, he wasn't able to honor her and appreciate her the way that um, she she deserved.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: He's, I, I, yeah, he's still torn up about that. He still is.
0: It, is yeah. he still in addiction?
1: Um, he has, he's doing better now. Good. He's doing better now with that walk, uh, is, is, uh, in the past year or so, I've seen him make great strides. Awesome. Uh, so things are looking up for him now, but again, with any addiction, it is something that you gotta die to self daily, every day, say today, I'm going to fight this battle. Uh, but in the past year, I gotta tell you, he's done really, really, really well.
0: Awesome. Yeah. That is such good news. That's like music to my ears. <laughs> like, yeah. That is good because that was something that we didn't talk about. And so I'm I'm really glad. I'm so glad to know that, you know, you that hey, you have somebody, you know, mm-hmm. your your dad, he he's still living, you yeah. know, your mom has gone to heaven, but in the latter years things you guys were able to reconcile. And yeah. to your point, it doesn't always happen overnight. It takes time. You, It takes time to forgive sometimes. You have to do it over and over and over again. Yeah. It takes time to do the work of healing. And so you did that.
1: Yeah. Yay. I'm sure, you that. I'm sure you see that as well. Healing is a process. And when people reach out for help, you know, to, to you or to me, uh, they're kind of wanting to you know, one quick phone call to fix this. And we're like, no, this may may take three months at the very least, this may take three months. And at three months, we may just be scratching the surface.
0: Exactly.
1: Uh, Healing is a process and that process, it has its own timeline. I can't tell you how long it's going to take you. You can't tell me how long it's going to take me. It has its own timeline, but you got to keep doing the work.
0: And that is the point. Um, Some people like to pause in the process. Yeah, and you cannot pause if mm-hmm. you want the results that you say you want then you have to continuously like you said die to yourself daily because yourself wants to feel good right now yeah right now i want some change
1: right i wanted it yesterday i don't had enough <laughs> Right. You know? and, and lolita you gotta tell me the answer today right
0: uh, and, and it don't uh, happen it doesn't happen that
1: way. way. Yeah, yeah, um, it, it doesn't. It's You got to approach your emotional health like you do your physical fitness. Yeah. go to the gym at least four days a week. You got to eat right every day for yeah. a very long time. And that's just to lose 10 pounds, maybe. <laughs> I mean, we're not talking 50, 60. We're talking about just so you don't feel tired going up the steps. Right. It, it, consistently. Uh, because we all, and, and and also we all got a thing. We all got an issue. We all got something that's a, a puzzle or a struggle for us. Mm-hmm. And that thing is the thing that we got to die to every day. And so uh, I like to tell people this. Uh, I heard a pastor say this once and it, it just blessed me. He says, I, I may have changed my activities, but I still have the appetite.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. So, uh, and so like with my dad, so it's like, although he doesn't drink like he used to, he still has that appetite for it.
2: And yeah. that's
1: what he has to die to daily. So whatever your issue is, you may not be doing it every day, but you still need to manage that appetite. Yeah. The process. That's
0: good process. though. I like it. That's, yeah. that's really good. Um. So, okay. So tell us, what are you doing now? What's what's happening in your world? How are you helping people?
1: Yeah, well, I'm trying to stay busy. And uh, and I guess the good news, bad news about people in our profession is that people are always in need, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I feel like this year, God has put a special mandate on my heart to help and to reach people who have been through childhood trauma, uh, similar to mine, worse than mine, like mine, or whatever it may be. I know what this what those effects are. They are long-lasting. They show up in your relationships, like I said in my dating history. It shows up in your finances. You're over you're overspending, so you can make yourself look good. It shows up in your weight. Uh it's like I said, I have, you know, I overeat sometimes. And so uh they these emotions show up all the time. And so I'm putting a heavy focus this year on helping people who have um dealt with childhood trauma. And so I'm starting a course here next month uh, just to show people how to deal with it, how to manage that appetite, and so that they don't get overwhelmed uh, with those issues. Because even as adults, we still go back to our childhood. Uh, In my practice, I talk with couples a lot about their relationship issues. And so uh, I find that when I talk to couples, inevitably, we always go back to their childhood. Yeah. What did your mother teach you about being a father, or being a husband? What did your mother teach you about being a wife? What did your dad teach you about marriage? Because we are, become pre-programmed wow. by our parents and then we get married and then we see, whoa, I got to get rid of a lot of thinking. I got to change my paradigm here. Uh, yeah. I'm a better person so I can be successful. So, uh, if anybody is interested, anybody wants to discuss more with me about a hey, childhood trauma, uh, they can reach out to me. Uh, my website is gregorymckinney.net. You can reach out to me there uh, and uh, con- on my contact page, just send me a little note and we can start the discussion. Uh, and also you can reach me on Instagram at Gregory Inspires. Uh, in the bio, there's a link uh, if you're interested in the course you can click there and uh, I'll tell you everything that you need to know uh, about the course.
2: Awesome.
0: Awesome, yeah. awesome, awesome. I want to say thank you, thank you. Thank you my friend. Thank Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: thank
0: thank you, you for having so me. This is so fun. Yeah, it 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 is fun but it is so enlightening, you know. Um, you look at a person, you think you know who they are, you have a little bit on their story, but you don't know the half. You yeah. don't know the half. And that
2: stuff.
0: it's it's just so it's so much to share, it's so much to help people to become to uh to navigate wherever they find themselves, you know. Sure. So there's a lot, and um Please do remember that if you find yourself in need, that you reach out to Gregory. His information will be posted wherever you find this video or the podcast itself. Gregory, I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you, you, my friend. Thank you. For uh, joining me at Navigating Life with Coach Lowe. It has been an absolute blast. I had a great time.
1: (laughs) I don't want to go. I don't want to leave. I want to stay. I have fun.
0: We will be back here again. Good,
1: good.
0: That is for sure. So, again, thank you, my friend. And um, I want to say thank you to the Navigating Life podcast audience. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that something that was shared here will help you to navigate your process wherever it is that you find yourself. That you look within, and then you find who can help so that you too can heal. So thank you so much for joining us. And we are going to say bye now.